Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the cricket podcast, Zero Ducks Given, another week full of English failure in India. But we will try as ever to claw some positives out of another defeat to the England boys uh, in a hell of a game, a hell of a final game in in a series that had been um, quite one-sided in the first two games, quite comfortable winners in both games, but a great, great finale. And the rise of Sam Curran, perhaps. We'll talk about all that later on. I am joined as ever by National Treasure, recently vaccined, much to the chagrin of one angry bloke on social media, Daniel Norcross and ex-England International and bowling supremo. I'm being nice to him now because we've got this net session coming up, so I'm going to start sucking up to him. And handsome chap, Stephen Finn, is here as well. Afternoon, you two. I should say evening, actually. It's 9.30 because the clocks have gone forward and I was playing seven-a-side football because, yes, outdoor sport is back in some form. Uh, so my mighty team, Crystal Phallus, we won 2-1 against substandard Liège on our comeback. Very, very satisfying. So it's a bit of a late record for us. It's 9.30 at night. And um, how's everyone's week been going? Daniel, this is a common place for you, but you're in the doghouse. Yeah, well, I am a bit. It, it's a look at, it's a, it's a, I'll try and make it as short a story as humanly possible, all right? So uh, last night, I was trying to facilitate, I tried to be helpful, basically. And in being helpful, to cut this story short, I broke the measuring jug. Well, I broke one of what I thought were two measuring jugs. Good old-fashioned drop yeah. the measuring jug. Well, I was, I was trying to carry too many things at once because I hate inefficiency. So when I was leaving the, my sitting room where everything was to take things to the kitchen and then do all the washing up and stack the dishwasher, I didn't like to make two journeys, so I took too many things and then I got all the way there to the dishwasher, just about to put things on the surface, and then something slipped through my grass, which knocked the measuring jug off the kitchen surface, onto the floor, massive clatter, 
Catherine's on a Zoom quiz at the time. Did you do the old stick out a foot and try and soften the blow technique? Uh, no, that, that wasn't that wasn't even possible. Uh, the the no. speed at which it just it went straight down, precipitously down onto a hard wooden right. floor that Catherine, you know, a lot of this is Catherine's fault. She like wanted that hard wooden floor and she wanted those hard kitchen surfaces, <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't put that to her yet. A uh, lot of this is Catherine's yeah. well, fault. Well, I, I, yeah. you know, it's not all just my dreadful clumsiness. I'd like to think. Anyway, she was on a Zoom call, headphones in and all that. So I thought she probably won't have noticed. I'll tidy up and swept up whatever put things away immaculately fast forward to today and of course while making dinner where's the measuring jug and i said well we are and i fessed up immediately so i broke the measuring jug but we've got two haven't we well it turns out i thought we had two but she'd actually broken the previous measuring jug but not told me right but shane made me momentarily peeved until I remembered the, the early part of our relationship when I was a bit unsure, you know, and she's a lot more attractive than I am. I didn't want to, you know, lose her for the want of having broken her favourite wine glass, which was a very specific wine glass with sentimental attachment, which I accidentally did while washing it up, which was, again, in many ways, her fault. And as I washed it up, it broke, but a shard broke off, a perfect triangular shard broke off such that actually, although I panicked instantly, I realised I could put it back together and then hide it at the back of the cupboard until, you know, a year or so later, Catherine. It's just then, the Norcross household's just full of double-crossing and a, deceit. There's a bit of that. Uh, yeah, a bit, I mean, this was many years ago. It was early in the relationship. But anyway, she did pick it up and then she did put wine in it and it broke instantly. I remember her saying, my favourite wine glass has just broken. Oh, that's dreadful. Of course, knowing all along that, that I had done it. So really, I've just discovered it's just a tip for tap. But you have no idea when you're 51 how much not having a measuring jug is utterly flummoxing. Because at 51, you've basically got every kitchen utensil there is. I've got, I've got a truffle shaver. I've got a courgette spaghetti maker. I not, don't ever use any of these things. I've got a nutmeg grater. A truffle shaver. Yeah. What what makes it distinct? Why 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 can it oh, shave other things? Or? No, it's, it's the most dangerous thing known to mankind. If you pick it out slightly wrong, it just takes. It just shears off a great bit of your finger. Just to cut a truffle, incidentally, which is not you're not like cutting through diamond. It's really soft, but they're the sharpest things known to mankind. Hence why I've never used it. I've got all these things, but I don't have a measuring jug. I'm actually literally going to have to go to a shop and buy a kitchen utensil for the first time in about 25 years. That's what happened when you get old. And I'm, I'm scared. It's taken some doing, but uh, this is actually now the most middle-class start to the podcast. And we've had some middle-class openings, but from truffle shavers, that, that's pretty good going. Finney, um, you strike me as a thoroughly, thoroughly decent man. I can't imagine that there's any lies between you and your, your better half at all. No, no, I've always been honest. Like when I'm appealing for wickets, I'm always honest and truthful <laughs> with the umpire. No, I... I what did I do a few weeks ago? I broke the the key stand. We got a key stand in the hallway, and oh, someone's doing all right. Just knocked it over and, and <laughs> broke it. But unfortunately, she was stood next to me. Amber was stood next to me, so I didn't um, I, I didn't manage to get away with that one. I'm afraid. No gluing it back together. It just went straight in the bin. I think when I knocked it over, I tend to when I'm around the house and I knock into things, it's never my fault. It's always, why is this fucking thing here? Um, and it was, it was similar with the key holder. 
Yeah, the priceless <laughs> Ming vase goes the same way, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I remember once when I was a kid, I, I used to play a game where I would throw a tennis ball against the wall in the living room and I'd be a goalkeeper and I'd like keep scores and I'd do whole World Cups when I was about seven or eight years old. Anyway, I did an amazing save. I was David Seaman. I've tipped this tennis ball around the post and my mum used to hate me playing this game because it made loads of marks on the wall. Tipped this ball around the post broken a vase I'm like oh shit but it's only broken on one side so I thought I'll be a genius here and I'll swivel the vase so it's facing yeah. inwards yeah. what I didn't think about was the now broken bit is right outside the window so she's going in the front door and looks to her left and there's, there's a huge huge hole but but to be fair you know I'm pretty sure England beat Turkey in that game of tennis ball against the wall so it was worth it at the end um, let's Finny let's move on to your week and I guess move on to cricket because Finney's been out there playing cricket and Sod's Law uh, just when it got hot you stopped playing. Glorious sunshine today in the UK and you didn't get to enjoy much of it. How's it been, mate? How sore are you after, a, was it, two days of cricket you did? Yeah, we had a, we were two two-day games last week and the bowlers played one game and had the other one off to train and then go and see the physio and go to the gym and stuff. So yeah, had a first two-day game against Yorkshire who I think hadn't had an outdoor net yet because it was so wet up at Headingley so far this pre-season and we're lucky we've got facilities where there's a tent and the middle generally the weather's a bit better obviously in the south than the north because it's a lovely place down here and not quite so much up there. Groom up north, groom up north, Finny. They don't even they don't even have warm tents. Exactly, exactly. So few truffle shavers up north. I've noticed. Very hard to get a good truffle shaver up north. Did did, did Adam Live get to bowl at you? No, he didn't. I think he's injured, thankfully. So my nemesis, I've, I've kept away from him for another few months. <laughs> I didn't bat. I wasn't even required to bat. I was number 13 on the batting order. No, number Ooh. 12 on the batting order. Yeah, so I wasn't... Even had we lost nine wickets, I wouldn't have been required to bat. I, I did spot the uh, the scorecard, Finney. So so Yorkshire haven't had an outdoor net. So presumably, you know, batsmen horribly out of nick. Uh, you must have... Wickets are plenty, I'd imagine, Finney. Yeah, loads of them. Loads of them. <laughs> Got unlucky a couple of times, obviously. Um, no, it was. It's just funny that first day. Actually, obviously, when you're doing it, you get tired. But then the next day, when you wake up, it's like someone's poured cement through your body, and you just you can't get out of bed. You creaking and groaning. You, you're gonna need to get in a hot shower to even wake yourself up and get your body moving. And regardless of how fit you are, how many runs you've been on, it's that first day after you've bowled 10, 15 overs is always the hardest one, especially when it's blowing a gale and it's freezing cold. Genuinely, how, how do you think it's coming out at the moment? Because obviously you've had your, your injuries and stuff, but this you've had a nice proper run at pre-season now. Are you feeling like you're bowling well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this winter was an opportunity to try and correct some technical stuff that sort of crept in, some bad habits that had crept in as a result of me having knee surgeries and trying to protect that for a couple of years. But this winter was actually a nice chance to be able to go and put those things right so something as simple as bracing my knee when my front foot lands I hadn't been doing it for a couple of years which obviously affects pace and the height of your arm and your ability to bowl quick so I feel like I've ironed those out um, to a certain extent it's just about now putting it into practice out in games so our coach Stuart Law is quite big on having middle practices and competitive net scenarios rather than just having um, token practices the whole time so we had a 
inter-squad T20 game today. We've got another one on Wednesday. And it's always just, it's just building confidence now up until the point where the first game of the season comes around and, and yeah, being ready when you're called upon because we've got a good, strong squad of seamers here. So not everyone's going to play every game. But yeah, very much optimistic about the summer and hoping that I can put the last couple of years that have been not that great for me behind me. I'm fascinated by this season because there's so many four-day games back-to-back. You start with seven or eight, it's extraordinary. So presumably, there'll be very few seamers who are there that would play all of those games. You're going to have to rotate sort of from a pool of five or six, aren't you? And just Otherwise, you're going to be, you'll be knackered by middle of May. We've got seven or eight guys who are capable of playing in the first team or would do a good job if called upon in the first team. So... A, there's those competition for places, which keeps everyone looking over their shoulder, which is an important thing. Um, and B, it means that you can rotate and rest and mean that when people are playing, they're there and fresh and able to give it their best for the days that they are. I think it's only your old war horses like Tim Murta, who you could literally, you could freeze him and put him away and then wheel him out and he'd just run in. There's been a few sessions this winter, actually, where um, he lives out in the Chalfonts out, out of West London. And the journey in on the A40 can be a bit stinking. So some mornings would be there training at Lords, and you know you're just about to start your competitive net in the indoor school at Lords, and Mertz is still stuck on the A40, and he literally just gets out of his car, puts his uh, bowling trainers on, and goes and bowls in the net with no warm up, and it's exactly the same as he does when he does warm up. So yeah, it sort of flies in the face of any SNC coach's idea of what's an ideal warm up, but. A couple of bacon sarnies, a coffee, and, and a journey in on the A40 seem to do the trick for Mertz. <laughs> it makes you sick. Some bowling actions are so repeatable. I look at Abbas for Pakistan. He can bowl till he's 85 doing that. Just run in, all straight lines. And then when I'm bowling my, my club cricket in Surrey, limbs flying all over the place. It was so frustrating watching people like that just trundle in and just put the ball on the spot straight away. No pre-season or anything. Makes you sick. I saw that video of you. You look like you're a stress fracture waiting to happen. <laughs> oh, well, explain, explain, well, like, explain, explain. What's, what's he doing wrong? What, what can we do to make I mean, there's not a lot he's doing right, if I'm being brutally honest. But... <laughs> well, I mean, we should explain this. So in our, in our Zero Ducks given uh, WhatsApp group, so Finney sent his video, because obviously we've, if, you, if you've missed any episode recently, Finney has challenged me to a net because I've been running my mouth off far too much. Um, so Finney sent me a video of him bowling in the nets and it does look worryingly like that, that knee's braced again because he sent me a video of that ball absolutely flying through off the length. Who was batting? Who was facing that? Uh, Robbie White. Ah, no. Oh, it's only batting. Robbie White. Oh, I thought it was someone half decent. Oh, don't worry about that. That's fine. It was only Robbie White. So, right, I'm going to tell him you said that tomorrow morning. <laughs> For fuck's sake. And hope, hopefully he plays against you, smashes you everywhere, and then tells you to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Go and fetch I'm, him. Go and pick him out the fence. <laughs> I've not got many friends in the middle safe dressing room at the minute. <laughs> I've, I've only met Finney and, and, fall, and already fallen out with the rest of them. I'm so I'm so glad I haven't entered into this. I, 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 yeah, you do. You both see me obviously as a sort of you know shepherd, David Shepherd of this situation. The sort of Dicky Bird. I simply sit as Pontius Norcross. Mate, I've decided to go for the approach of just in for a penny, in for a pound. Producer Sal compared me to uh, to the um, to the boat that's stuck in the Suez Canal this week. Just basically, I've just decided to keep running my mouth off at Finney until this until this net happens. I don't know why. I've just I've just I've just decided that I'm going to fully commit here. So yeah, so Finney sent this video to the WhatsApp group of him sending this ball absolutely rearing through, and then I went up to Clapham Common Nets and had my first bowl of pre-season. And sent my video, and that, that wasn't even in slow motion. That was actually the pace it came out at. 
And uh, yeah, Finney described it as dippy bread bowling, which I've been called some things in my time, but dippy bread bowling, explain that to me, Finney. Well, it means you you get as much bread as you can and you lap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Your bowling's all over the plate and I've got my bread and I'm just wiping it up. It's an absolute pleasure. (laughs) This is going to be a bloodbath, isn't it? I'm going to get killed and bowled out several times in and over and then Finney's going to pump me for 36 and I'm... And we're only going to be about 15 episodes into the podcast and I'm never allowed to run my mouth off again. And, th- and then I'll I'll hand it over to you, Dan, because if, if I can't run my mouth off, I've got nothing. If left. I were you, I'd, I'd bowl on a helmet. Let me just say that now. <laughs> yeah, <it's not. laughs> yeah. And what, who's the umpire? Is it Bruce Oxen? Yeah, well, I'd be standing 20 yards back. Don't you worry. I've, I, I, yeah. I know I've got very good eyesight. I can tell even from that distance. That I'm out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much. And well, let's move on to a slightly high, higher caliber of cricket than mine. And England versus India, the one-day series. India won two-one to wrap up a clean sweep in the Test matches, the 2020s, and the one-day internationals. And it has to be said, begrudgingly, as an England fan, uh, that they were very, very impressive, and they're a ridiculously talented young side. And they're missing some good players as well. We sh- we shouldn't forget, you know, Jadeja and Boomer and stuff. So yeah, probably the favourites for the 2020 World Cup a bit later on this year. Very, very impressive. But let's focus on, on England. And again, I'm, I'm going to try and start with the positives here. Sam Curran. Now, I'm so glad that I piped up about Sam Curran a few podcasts ago. And I mentioned, I said, I'm not going to go into detail on it now, but I'm obsessed with how good I think Sam Curran could be. And I'm the biggest Sam Curran fan going. My argument about Sam Curran has always been, if he was six foot two, six foot three, and bowled 90 miles an hour, but had the exact same stats that he has now, exactly the same. And it achieved just as much in his career, but he bowled quicker and was taller and looked like Freddie Flintoff. We'd be going mad about this kid, I think. 22 years old, he's won test matches for England. He's won games for England. He's already a star in the IPL. I think the world's at his feet. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely obsessed with Sam Curran and I'd, I'd, I'd get him in all three formats straight away. I'm the biggest fan going. And I'm not just saying that because of his ridiculously good 99, was it? 98 not out in the final one day international uh, 95 was it dad I'm, I'm already trying to give Sam Curran a few runs but no he, he was so good wasn't he serious knock wasn't it Finney yeah phenomenal I think that's the one thing about this England one day side is that they bat all the way down to the end what did he bat number eight in that game and the ability Chris Wokes has done it a number of times as well won games from that position um, and pulled the team through it just shows how important it is to have guys in that lower middle order who are still capable of building an innings and then going through the gears. Um, and he certainly did that there. Yeah. But it, Chris Wokes has done it a number of times, similar sort of style, but yeah, he's a very exciting player, isn't he? When he gets going, he can hit the ball all around the ground, seems to take wickets at important times. Yeah. It's a, it's a great skill and a great knack to have. Have you, have you played against him much, Finney? Have you had much experience? Cause I get the impression that the Curran brothers, they just seem like they, they're up for a fight. They're up for a challenge. They seem to quite enjoy and revel the big stage. Yeah, well, I think they're, they're three brothers, aren't they, the Currens, I think. I think the other one plays for North Hans as well. So I'd imagine there'd have been a fair bit of competition in the back garden when they were growing up, um, bowling and batting against each other and not wanting to get out. So I suppose that does breed it. And yeah, I, whenever I've played with them, the one thing that does reign through is very much the fact that they are so competitive and just get into a battle and get into the game. And that's also a great skill to have as a cricketer, which not that many people have it naturally. Is is there a, a player on the on the county circuit at the moment, Finney, or somebody that you're aware of sort of coming up through academies or anything that is is sort of the next big thing? I don't want to 
put too much pressure on some bloke who's not expecting his name to be mentioned right now. But are you guys always aware of, oh, this kid, you know, in the Yorkshire twos is going to be absolutely done or anything like that? Uh, yeah, you hear of people who have done amazing things. I think Dom Sibley was one of those type of guys when I was growing up. He was always younger than me. Well, he is younger than me, but he, <laughs> that's, that's works, how it works. Yeah. It tends to be the same, yeah. Um, but he'd play in the second team and scored some big hundreds and you'd always hear about his name being spoken about. Uh, and he was one guy. I think for us at Middlesex at the moment, there's a young lad called Blake Cullen who is 18 years old, I think, and he's a fast bowler and he's going to be something special, I think. I think I've booked him in for about 70 test matches and 100 ODIs, I reckon, from um, from Middlesex, <laughs> not to put any pressure on him, but he just watching him bowl, everything seems so natural and he's so mm. mature for someone who's that young. Um, it wouldn't be surprised if he plays a fair bit for the first team this year and does well. Yeah, what Sam Curran has got as well is, is something that is really difficult, I think, for anybody just to have or to teach. He's, he's obviously been brought up with cricket. So, you know, when he was 17, I remember watching him, and Gareth Batty will tell you that even at 17, he would, he would like set his field in a T20. And, you know, you've got Gareth Batty there. He's like, at the time, so 35, gnarled old pro. And Sam just knows exactly what it is that he, that he wants, what he expects, what he's trying to do. And that's quite an incredible thing to have, but it comes from, I guess, sort of growing up in cricket. But he's also one of the weirdest cricketers because in a strange kind of way, I, I get what you say, Toby. We all go, yeah, well, obviously, whenever Sam Curran plays, something happens and he makes something happen. But not most people would not put him in their perfect England team, would they? You know, in English conditions, Chris Wokes, you might want with Broad Anderson Archer, say, for example. And then, you know, Wood would be above him in the pecking order as well. You've got an all-rounder in Stokes. It's one of those strange things. He was man of the series in his first series against India. And we're about to play India, of course, this summer. And yet he, he didn't play all the games and he probably wouldn't have been in the side had the first choice of been there. He's a very curious cricketer, really. But still only 22 as well. That's the other thing. You know, Broad and Anderson, well, I say they're not going to be around forever. I said that about five years ago. So they'll probably be like Tim Merton, just jumping out of the car and coming straight into bowling test matches in 10 years' time. Um, I just I just was so pleased to see him um, score some runs with the bat because he's a, he's a strange player. No first-class hundreds, loads of starts, quite a few 50s. But that was that felt like a, a, a huge innings and a huge moment for him. Uh, so very, very impressive. Going back to the India side, the uh, the other man that was impressive, and uh, we posed a question on the WhatsApp group this week, Rishab Pant, is he the most box office cricketer in the world right now? He is for me. I think Ben Stokes may be a different kind of box office, but just for whenever a game's a bit tight and a bit interesting, you can normally expect Ben Stokes to deliver, but Rishabh Pant, I mean, he's the most fearless batsman I've, I've, I've seen in a very long time. And he's one of these new breeds that have obviously brought up playing 2020. Do you think he's the most box office player around at the minute? Finney, who do you like to watch? As a, it must, as, a, as a proper cricketer, you must sit around and watch these, these guys on TV and just, and, you know, love seeing some of these guys play. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite a running theme throughout the world now, isn't it? That there's a lot of exciting players who can do almost everything coming through I think when I played and when I was young you you specialized in just the traditional format of the game and that was the basis with which you worked your game around and if you could expand on that slightly then 
then you'd go into the other areas of the game, the T20s, the one dayers, and do well there. But now it seems as though guys are coming into the game with just so much more at their disposal than they would have done 10 years ago. And yeah, anyone who reverse sweeps Jimmy Anderson over the slips and then does it to Joffre Archer as well, a couple of weeks later with a white ball, um, is pretty special. So you know that when he walks out to bat, he's not just going to scratch around, even if his team's up against it, he's not going to scratch around He's going to take the attack to the opposition, which is a, a pretty exciting, um, almost the complete opposite of, I mean, I don't like to say that I'm the only person on this podcast who scored a test 50, but it's the complete opposite. <laughs> to be um, fair, it's been a few weeks since you brought that up. Yeah, I just, I just need to keep drip feeding that in there just to keep reminding people. But um, it was almost the opposite. I mean, Rishabh Pant was probably sat at home being sick into his cornflakes or something as he watched me do that. <laughs> um, honestly though the IPL auction has happened Finney stop banging on about your batting you've got to wait till next year now sorry dad you were saying honestly though you, you say all those lovely gracious things about Richard Pan, but you're not telling me that you weren't furious when he does when he does those reverse ramps you must be thinking I'd, j- j- come on if you think you're hard enough yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're a bowler you're a fast bowler I mean surely it's one of the worst things in cricket isn't it is some little scrope you're putting in all that effort. You're getting, you're getting it cranking up to 90 miles an hour and then he reverses his hands and gets it out the middle of the bat and sends it to six over the keeper's head. I mean, that is... I mean, that's disrespectful, isn't it? What's the shot, Finney, that you you hate the most in cricket? When you're when you're steaming in and, you, and it's boiling hot and you're steaming it in and you're putting everything in and you run down a bowl, what's the most annoying shot a batsman can play to you? Well, I mean, the, the scoop is pretty annoying. It does... <laughs> Just because, yeah, you've put all this effort in and it's just such an effortless shot when it comes off. And if it skids off the middle of the bat, it just pisses off miles. And, and they've literally used the pace that you've, you've given. You've done yeah. that. You've basically made that six happen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, I, one of the first times I played against Sam Billings, actually, when he was very young playing for Kent, he tried to do it to me and he'd have been one of the first people to do that around the county circuit and I remember letting him have it saying you little shit you think you can do that to me <laughs> something along those lines and now look at him in the England team and, and I'm sat at home doing podcasts with you two but to be fair dad he has got a point, that is, a point how yeah. the mighty have fallen yeah. that is bleak that is a, that's a terrible statement <laughs> do, do you ever uh, do you ever uh, compliment a batsman when they're batting because I'm quite a big fan of when I'm bowling if a batsman punches like a four back past me, I'll just go shot. <laughs> I've got a shot. Fair play. Depends on the game. This the game against Yorkshire. A, a lad for them hit a couple of shots off me. A straight drive down the ground and a back foot punch. Where I was like shot. <laughs> that was like, <laughs> yeah. that, that's, that's pretty good. That's very very good shot. Yeah. Um, but no, in a in a proper game, unless like a number eleven comes out and plays a cracking cover drive or something, like it, it would piss me off. But like under your breath, you'll walk back and then one of your bowling mates is at mid off or mid on, and they'll go, "Shot that!" <laughs> 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 and you can um, only smile about it. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes you you do nothing wrong, uh, which actually leads me on to my next question because now I um I am obviously a, you know a. a cricket fan that sits on the sofa and just sits at home like all sports fans and goes oh what are you doing that's crap I could do better than that you know my nan could do better than that the scores we've seen over the last few years in 2020 cricket one day cricket are ridiculous and there's you know shots we've mentioned there that didn't exist a few years ago Um, but is there some really bad bowling going around as well because I'd like to point out that Bunny Kumar 
who should have been man of the series, by the way. Really frustrates me. Our bowlers don't get enough credit in the white ball game. I mean, he showed if you bowl well, he went at under fives. He took wickets, took really important wickets. Pretty much every time India needed a wicket, they turned to him. And he's bowling, you know, not quick at all. Incredible control. Uh, a few subtle variations. But he showed you that it is possible in this day and age to, to not go absolutely around the park. Some of the Yorkers that get missed nowadays, um, you know, you, I, when I was a kid, I, I, I caught the end of sort of Akram and Eunice and landing their Yorkers on a spot consistently. I always say his name wrong. Is it Nataranja, the bowler that's bowling for India, who's bought Nata, him this Yorker? Natarajan. 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 Well, he, he's, he's meant to be this Yorker specialist. I know he bowls them well in the IPL. He was missing some Yorkers by by a few feet. Huge full yeah, toss. He's not Joel Garner. He's not Alec Benson. I'm looking forward to coming down and watching you bowl, Toby. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> yeah, but my argument always is, as a, as a, as a fan, I, I admit I sit on the sofa with a beer and I berate everybody and I, and I get that. But my argument is, you know, I am playing Surrey Division One. I, I, I don't expect to hit my Yorker very often. But the, I, this is a genuine question, Finney. Do you think that there was some crap bowling at times in this one-day series? I'm reticent to call it crap bowling. I think the thing that is misunderstood when you're sat at home on the sofa uh, watching is the stuff that's gone before that ball. So I think we saw a few times where I think Bairstow hit that Natarajan's perfect Yorker that would have landed somewhere between the crease line and the stumps. He hit it for six over extra cover. So immediately you're thinking, okay, well, if I miss this slightly... This is going for six. And then you've got to take the line into account. Then you've got to take the small boundaries into account. So there are, then you've got to take the due factor on the ball into the account, the sweat, the pressure, everything. It's all these, um, all these different factors stacked up on top of each other, which is why the really amazing Yorker bowlers are like absolute gold dust in T20 cricket and why they get paid a fortune in the IPL and the other tournaments is is people's ability to be able to deal with that. And there's absolutely no doubt that the Yorker is the hardest ball to bowl in cricket and to nail it consistently. Um, And that's why you don't see that many people um, able to nail it still. I think the difference in, everyone says, ah, but Akram and, and Wakar, were amazing Yorker bowlers, yeah, but the ball was reverse swinging five foot. That doesn't happen anymore these days, which it already makes it easier for a bowler to miss his Yorker because the ball's moving through the air as well. That doesn't happen anymore at all. And people just played it one way. They gave themselves yeah. room and tried to flay it through the offside. And that just knowing that that's going to happen every single time means that your ability to just take everything out of the equation and now that Yorker is far greater or, or is far better. Whereas now you've got Rishabh Pan, who's very willing and able to stand there and reverse sweep your Yorker for six. It's a completely different game to when those guys played. No doubt they were amazing bowlers and they conquered and mastered what they did then. But bowling at the death and bowling Yorkers now is a completely different proposition. So just Kumar was just really, really good, I guess. Well, they were traditional bowling skills. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. They they were traditional bowling skills, weren't they? He hit a very good disciplined length with the new ball up front and made it hard to score. He mixed his pace well. Um, and then he was when he was required to bowl Yorkers, he nailed them. Um, so, so yeah, he, he had an outstanding series. He also, uh, by bowling really pretty well, meant that England treated him slightly differently. I mean, they didn't really go after it. It happened... At the, at the first over of the third game, when Roy went after him at 14 of the first five balls and was then out. And it was almost at that point, again, they're like England 
did have a think and said, well, Kumar's 10 over is going to be problematic. So they treated him slightly differently. So he, he gained a little bit, didn't he, from that respect, in much the same way that Anderson does with his economy rate in test matches because people want to see how he spells. So it's a bit of that. But I thought the, the most interesting thing to come out of the bowling attacks of both sides was that England's spinners completely out-bowled India's spinners in the, with the white ball. Obviously, the other way around with the red ball. But with the white ball, Rashid and Moeen Ali bowled way, way better than India's spinners. And you've got to wonder, you know, what if India had Ashwin and Jadeja bowling in their one-day outfit instead? I know Ashwin's getting on a bit. He's not as mobile and he may not seem like a conventional white ball spinner, but they've got to do a better job, haven't they, than the Indian spinners that they're currently using? I mean, I was gutted when the team news came out for the final ODI that Kuldeep wasn't in. <laughs> he was gar- he was guaranteed 100 runs off his 10, going absolutely around the park, up like just bowling half tracking. Um, yeah, no, I did take your point. Yeah, that was um, that was one of the positives. Um, I mean, Rashid's been, been very good for a while now, but great to see Moeen contributing as well. Well, let's um, let's move on to um, to a bowler that we didn't get to see, Jofra Archer, who is getting surgery on a hand that he cut whilst cleaning out a fish tank, which had dropped and lodged some glass in his right middle finger before the India tour. Which bizarre story that came out. It um, sounds like he'd fit in around the Norcross household, just dropping yep. glass items everywhere. Dan, he'd fit right in fish tank, wrong place at the wrong time, as uh, as, as any bad punster will say, and, he, and he's he's the sole person to blame for it. There are many other fish puns we can come up with. But how weird is this one, though? I mean, as injuries go, how weird is this? Because it's a fish tank injury, which is altogether funny to start with. But it's before the tour. (laughs) So then he's been playing the tour. There's this like, ah, is there a bit of glass still stuck in Joffrey's? It's not just any old finger, right? It's the middle finger of his right hand. Now, (laughs) Freddie, that's quite an important finger, isn't it, for a a seam bowler? (laughs) have a bit of glass lodged in there for two months you'd say so yeah <laughs> it'd be difficult not to notice it <laughs> he, he does seem so laid back Joffrey Archer that he probably yeah just went oh right yeah, yeah no there is some glass I thought it wasn't coming out quite right and, and now I look at my finger and see this giant shard sticking out the middle of it I mean that that is that is a daft injury I mean, what's 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 your daftest injury for you must have done you of all people not just knocking over Stands. Have you got have. daft injuries or have, have you got teammates daft injuries or have you ever injured yourself? Like, say, for example, Finney, you've injured yourself on a night out or something, but then you've gone into training a couple of days later. And He's you not going to tell us that, is he? Well, I was going to say, you can't You can't tell your physio. Oh, yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, I've got my appraisal in two days' time because I'm in the last year of my contract, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. But I, I do have teammates or ex-teammates who have come in with a swollen right knuckle on like right knuckles on their hand and can't hold a bat or a broken hand. And they've come in and, Oh, I slipped in the shower. I think there was one guy who had done a gym session on Christmas Eve uh, and had dropped the weights on his hand miraculously. (laughs) So yeah, I I don't know what happened there, but yeah, there's been some weird ones, haven't there? I think didn't Will Jefferson slipped in the bath and put his hand through glass and rip the tendons in his forearm he's a big big lad as well that would make some noise him falling over in in the bar didn't jesse Ryder, the old new zealand opener didn't he punch his way out of a toilet in a nightclub and break his hand i'm sorry if i've made that up jesse if if you're listening to this that that might be i i think he got absolutely steaming drunk on a night out and punched his way out of a cubicle in a nightclub (laughs) again i could be completely making quinton quinton de cock 
is, is one of my favourites because he he didn't he tear ligaments or or at least sprain ligaments walking his dog. He had a comically small dog. Now, I mean, I suppose wicket keepers, you might imagine, have small dogs. But you kind of imagine sportsmen having something slightly bigger dogs. He's got a kind of like classic sort of Hollywood actress dog in a bag oh, dog. And it was so sort disappointing. Of, yeah, exactly. And it was sort of running between his legs and he sort of, he, he slipped in order to avoid treading on it and presumably crushing it in one fell swoop. And, uh, and he missed the test match. But the greatest thing was he didn't tell them, didn't tell the selectors that he was injured. They turned up without wicketkeeper. <laughs> and uh, who had to, who had to, I can't remember who it was. Someone had to, obviously someone had to come in and play for him, but arrived at the ground about 45 minutes to an hour afterwards. It's quite recent. It's always one of the top batsmen. Always somebody in the top four is normally quite handy if you chuck them to wicket-keeping gloves, generally generally speaking. Dan, any bizarre injuries in your lifetime? I, I bet there's loads. I bet there's some that you don't remember. I bet there's a lot of mornings where you wake well, up lot, with, a big, yeah. with a big you know, cut on your forehead and you go, I've got no idea how that happened. There's a lot of bizarre injuries, but I mean, the one that I, I hate myself for most was after uh, renovating, it took about five months to renovate the house that I live in, flat I live in. And the very last thing that needed to be done was this gigantic kitchen top, which Catherine had chosen because it was apparently the hardest substance known to man. It's her fault again, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. It's, it's, it's like called crystal with a K and, a, and an I or something dark. I came back from work and I was a bit drunk, I have to say. And the last thing that needed to be done was putting this bloody kitchen top onto the kitchen top. And, it, and I walked in and it was there. And I said, oh, God, why couldn't they get it in then? She said, oh, they said it was warped. So I thought, how can the hardest substance known to man warp? And it was leaning up against the wall. And I looked at it to see how warped it was and just pulled it very slightly towards me. And it weighed nearly a ton, quite literally. And then as it fell, went past the tipping point, it fell towards my foot and and, uh, cracked two bones in my foot. And uh, two small spurts of blood flew out of my foot onto my newly painted kitchen wall, leaving, I kid you not, quite genuinely, a question mark sign in blood like why are you such a dick Norcross why didn't you just leave it it was like my own foot blood was actually just trolling me you should have just put a glass pane over it and said it was a Banksy you would have made an absolute fortune it was it was heartbreaking two two broken bones in a foot I'm sorry to hear that mate I'm sorry to hear that luckily your career doesn't rely on on your foot at all that's literally that's, all, that's of all the true, things you yeah. can break. It really doesn't affect your day to day. If Finney broke his foot, I'd feel sorry for him. But yeah. I mean, really, Christy Brown had broken his foot, it would have been a disaster. But no, <laughs> for me, it was fine. You, you're, you're absolutely fine. Uh, yeah, I once got cramp in my hand buttering a crumpet when I lived by myself. Ooh. I was just, just spreading some butter across a crumpet, you know. And then, yeah, my finger properly locked but for way longer than I was ever expecting. And then I lived by myself at the time. You know when you injure yourself when you're on your own, it's so bleak because there's no one even around to like get a So you had like an out signal. You say you had like an out signal. I was giving, I was, yeah, I was basically I was basically giving Finney out. He was he was hitting all three. But I was just yelling at my hand. I was going, ah, for about about 45 seconds, which in cramp terms is a lifetime. And I just remember thinking, and it was only once the cramp had gone, I took stock and realized that I'd just been yelling at my hand after buttering a crump. You know, we, the we cure? started the podcast you know the pretty middle class, and here we go. What's the cure? The cure, it's unbelievable, this, and it's genuinely true. If you've not tried this yet, Finny, tell everybody because it works. Um, half a teaspoon of raw, uncut marmite. 
Really? Yeah. I have a I have a jar of Marmite by my bed actually, weirdly, <laughs> because I because I, I suffer from night cramps. I do not need to know why. <laughs> and I wake up, I wake up with a terrible cramp, and I scoop half a teaspoon of Marmite into my mouth, and uh, and it's it's gone in almost no time. It's an it's a miracle. It's it a shocks miracle. your system, doesn't it? It's, they give you um, in yeah. sport when you're out there on the pitch, they give you pickle juice. So oh, yeah, I've heard this. Yeah, you, yeah. it's like a shot of pickle juice. So if you cramp in. The physio sometimes will run you around a shot of pickle juice and oh. you immediately forget about cramping and then you just think about being sick because it's medieval. fucking horrible. Um, I should mention as well, hello to Anna Forsyth, who sent a very lovely picture. Um, she was uh, she was in the bath with a glass of white wine listening to Zero Ducks Given the other day and she tagged us on Instagram. I'm so sorry, Anna, if you were trying to have a lovely, relaxing time in the bath listening to this podcast and now you've got to picture a a naked Daniel Norcross in the middle of the night shoveling Marmite into his mouth to get it to avoid cramp. I'm sorry if that's ruined the idyllic scenario that you set up for yourself. Um, guys, we haven't got that long left, but um, actually that leads us quite nicely on to, um, to audience interaction because I had a, a question from um, DLD on Twitter. I'm sorry, I don't know what your real name is, but DLD on Twitter uh, said, I feel like you need to discuss hats on the podcast and why do they pick slash have different options? And I, I've always thought about this watching the England cricket team because there are certain players, you know Stuart Broad's going to go full brim in a test match, loves a full brim. Some people will always have the baggy blue. I always feel like fast bowlers more likely to have a full brim and fat people that field at first slip always have a full brim. And that's just that's just the science. Picture it. Shane Warne, Inzamam Hack. Fat first slippers always have a full brim. Dwayne Leverock is an exception to that rule. I think he had a, a normal capital. Finney, I'm trying. When I picture you playing, you mixed it up. I reckon between the baggy blue and the full brim, I, I can picture you in both. Yeah, yeah. I'm predominantly a um, a baggy blue wearer. Yeah, but you do when it's super hot or you you're um, or it's very sunny, especially abroad. You will use a sun hat because it protects the back of your neck. That was my theory behind it all the time. Anyway, because if you're out there in Australia or the, the subcontinent and you're just having the back of your net battered because typically you'd spend a lot of time in the field over in those places, it was just a way to protect you a little bit more from the sun. And then the baggy blue tended to be a, a more of an England thing when I was playing in this country. But some of it's superstition. Some of the guys will bowl well one day when they're using their wide brim. And then even if it's blowing a gale force wind, and not sunny at all, they'll still be wearing a wide brim out there because they bowled well once whilst wearing the wide brim. So, yeah, we're funny creatures. So it wouldn't surprise me that a fair majority of it or a fair amount of it is superstition. The state of some of these baggy blues as well, because they put the sun cream in and then it, and then you can see it streaking all across the state of some of the hats. But I get that you don't want to ever change your first one. Sorry, Dad. I had a saying? stinker. I, well, I had a stinker with mine. So in South Africa in 2016, I... Like I used to pride myself in having the sweat marks. So you look at Joe Root's hat, Matt Pryor was the mm. same. You have the stains and the sweaty stains and the beer and the champagne that all been poured into that cap. And it's like a, a, a living, albeit crusty, once it dries, memory <laughs> of all the great things that you've done in your England career. Uh, and especially the test matches because of the material of them. Um, you just have one for life. That is your one test cap. Apart from the commemorative ones you get for 25, 50, 7,500, blah, blah, blah. But 
I, in South Africa, I always traveled with my caps in my hand luggage because I'd never want to lose them. I always wanted to keep them close to me so I knew where they were and no one could ever steal them because they're my caps with my numbers on. Um, and the one time that I lapsed in concentration with it, I think I might have been a bit hungover. We had to put our bags out to travel to the next place the next day. Um, and I just put my caps in a rucksack with, with a load of other kit out with my bags overnight for them to be taken. And the following morning, you travel, go to the next place, go to the hotel room. My backpack wasn't there. So I was distraught, phoning around, panicking. Where are my caps? I've lost my caps. Because if you to lose your England caps, trust me, it's, it's terrible. Like it'd be mm. awful. Yeah. And then the laundry service comes about six p.m. in the evening, and someone's put the entire bag of kit plus my caps oh. through the washing machine and then a dryer. So they were like burst assholes when they got back to me. Honestly, oh. it was shocking. They That's they were just inside out like none of the sweat marks were on them anymore they looked like brand new caps that had no structure to them anymore so yeah i was distraught and then oh, i only mate. i think i only went on to play probably seven or eight more test matches after that so there's a few sweat marks on them but not loads so I was a bit oh, gutted. Mate, that is that is a gut you, you know what we need to do is on this podcast at some point i don't think anyone's ever done this before you know in like csi when they run a UV light across like a, a bed sheet in like Ooh. a Vegas hotel room and there's like feces, yeah. semen, blood, you know, all yeah. those sorts of stuff. We need to get one of the England boys, England caps, and send it off to a lab and find out what's on there. I reckon we'll be in for a shock. Yeah, but it, it, you're absolutely right. It's terrifying. But it also reminds me of like a six-year-old that does not want its cuddly toy to be washed. <laughs> because it is, it's got the accumulated smells of all the things that make a small child feel comforted. But basically, an England, it turns out that England cricketers need to have the accumulated history of their blood, soil, sweat, tears, beer, and who knows what. According to Toby, the blood of probably a, 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 a Libyan diplomat. <laughs> accidentally died in some weird nightclub thing. I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't <laughs> rule that out at all. They're very sensitive cricketers nowadays, Dan. You've seen the rotation policy. Finney yeah. talked about it earlier on. Or not all the bowlers can play eight games and all that stuff. But how know. many? But how many caps? Did, therefore, did you have? So, what what was your rotation of caps, Finney? I'm fascinated by this now. How many caps was your cap? I had three. So you, I had my original one, the one that you're given the first time, the, the first game that you wear uh, or the first game that you play, and that has no number on it. So that's just here. And Michael Atherton gave that to me before my first test match. I wore it in my first test match and it didn't get worn since. As soon as you've played your first test match, you get one with just the England crest and your number on the back, like right at the back, at the, the back of your skull. Um, you get that one when you first, when like after you first played, and then when you play twenty five test matches, you get the one with the twenty five underneath the underneath the England crest, and that because I only played thirty six test matches, that's the only secondary cap that I have. So, um, so yeah, I flitted between my original one and my twenty five one, depending on whether I was bowling well or not. <laughs> That that's that makes so much sense now because I've often looked at players with little numbers underneath their hat, and I used to always think it was the number that you had played for England. You were the like seven hundred and fiftieth cap person, 
And I'm always no, like, that's on the back. Hold on, let me get mine. One yeah, because I've always been confused by this. Because I'll, I'll, I'll be watching a test match and I'll see some bloke in the South African team who's got like number like 25 on his hat. And I'll be like, he's not the 25th bloke to play for South Africa. No. He's, he's, he's like the two. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't even know that. Here we go. Here he comes. Look at that. Very close to hand, wasn't it, Finney? Oh, this old thing. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I've never, I've always wondered why I see that. And then on the back, it says six, four, seven. Very cool. It's not bad, is it, Dan? You, Dan, I'm going to be honest. I think we have to accept that we will never own one of those. And now Finney is yeah. wearing it. To be fair, if I was you, mate, I would never take it off. I'd walk around the street. So do they, I'd walk around do the they, house. Do they, do they get, okay, so I want to get granular here. Do they take your hat size? Do they, do they measure you for it? Is it all properly done? It's done like a German street and everything. Yeah, this is Michael of Chatham. Seven and a quarter. My head must have grown since my test debut because my first one, my original one, seven and an eighth. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a bit big-headed after my first yeah. test. <laughs> you took, took a few wickets, couldn't fit through the fucking door. Exactly. And, 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 right. Now, this is the other thing. As a, as a very modest cricketer, I hate wearing caps. Like this time of year, I hate, I hate wearing, having anything on my head because it, all it does is fly off when I'm running and, and shit like that. Um, do you just like are you completely used to wearing do you just wear a cap it's like golfers and cricketers like you, they all wear it's hats weird. don't they no, you never see the guy take take the no hat option I mean I'm a no hat man generally in life so why would the thing that's like going to cause me a bit of stress where I've actually got to perform why would I put a hat on at that point because it seems like hard work keeping it there well imagine trying to take a catch when the sun's out and Instead of using two hands to catch the catch, you're using one hand to block the sun out, and then you're only leaving yourself one hand to does that take the catch. Cat with. Really do that? I mean, you know, it's, does makes it? a huge does difference. It? Yeah, a huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I need to get. Well, I mean, this is a well, this is a topic for a whole other podcast. That also, I'm I'm very anti the um, the baseball caps that they're wearing in some 2020 franchises now. Call me, you know, old fashioned, but I'm not a fan of these 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 peak caps that they're they're wearing in the big bash. I'm not a fan of those at all. Um, Chaps, that's all I've got time for. I, I do want to make a mention of the fact that cricket's return to play in England, the COVID response roadmap, has been updated and put out, and uh, it's great news for for club cricketers all over the country that we are going to be able to play in some way, shape, or form. Which I know lots of people listening to this will be very very excited about. Um, and Dan, we'll have to wait until next week. Dan wants to compare the clocks going forward to the Second World War. But we, we, we absolutely don't have time for it, Dan. World War, so don't worry. It's a uplifting thing. That's for next week. And thank you so much for all your, your messages on Twitter, at Zero Ducks Pod and Instagram and, and still TikTok. I've got no idea if we've got a single follower on TikTok. Can somebody check and, and let me know if you're listening to this? Um, but you, your questions and, all, and anything you want us to talk about is very, very useful. I mean, we've got about 15 minutes out of cap. It was only going to be a throwaway question, but it was actually one of the, it's actually fascinating in the end. Uh, for, but thank you very much, Daniel Finney. Sorry it was a late one. I was off playing football, but uh, lovely to see you both. And uh, I'll chat to you next lovely. week. Bye. See ya. Podcast Network. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. 
products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.